Amen, and thank you. You may be seated, and thank you for coming out tonight. What a great opportunity for us to be in the Word of God tonight on this uh, special uh, concluding service for 2 Corinthians. Now, please keep in mind, we are getting ready for this weekend. A lot of things are going on, and here are some of the things you want to be aware of. First of all, on Friday, there will be special services in memory of Julius Branscombe, and the family cordially invites all the Central Baptist Church family to join uh, at their home church, which is Park Valley Church out in Haymarket. You can Google it, get directions, or I will send you the directions if you don't have them. Uh, the viewing begins at 12 noon there. The service of memory begins at 2 o'clock, and then the uh, reception to follow begins at 3 o'clock, approximately, or whenever we finish. And so everyone is invited to come and uh, David and the family would like to have everyone from Central there in a good showing. So I encourage you. I will be doing the preaching, and uh, uh, Ryan will be doing some music, and uh, it's going to be a wonderful service. So I hope and trust that you'll join us out there Friday for this very important service of memory for Julius. Don't call the home, please. Do not uh, contact Lila. We appreciate your cooperation in this. Uh, this is in view of her current state of care. All right, and then on Saturday, we have cleaning at 9, we have visitation at 10, and uh, then we're going to have a tremendous uh, pre-Thanksgiving care and share dinner. I've got sign-up boards for you. If you haven't signed up, we've got a good uh, turnout, looks like, coming, and praise God for that. Please invite your neighbors, friends, relatives, and sit with them and make them feel right at home. We begin at 4 o'clock sharp. We'll go till approximately 6 o'clock. Come upstairs then for the public ordination service for Tyler Candy. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. And then on Sunday, we have a great Thanksgiving day in the morning and the evening. We'll have te testimonies at night. A week from tonight, we'll have our Thanksgiving Eve candlelight service, a very special quiet atmosphere with candlelight, low lighting, and, and uh, bring your family and uh, do that in preparation for Thanksgiving one week from tomorrow. Out there on the Welcome Center, we have uh, how to have a godly Thanksgiving. And please pick yours up and uh, share that with others as well. Now tonight, in just a little while, we're going to be having and going to prayer. But right now, I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, please. As we're turning, keep in mind that we have coming up in the month of December, many special activities. The 8th of December, Friday night, is our Cookies and Caroling concert over at Fellowship House. We'll meet here between 6 and 6.30 and depart, and then we'll be over there at 7. That's earlier than usual. We'll put on a concert and have a sing-along and caroling with them along with the cookies. Please make two to three dozen homemade Christmas cookies and plan on a wonderful time of fellowship. We'll always have souls saved. Then on the 17th, we have in the Sunday morning service our adult choir, also our children's choir, singing with our musicians and technicians. A great program at 11 o'clock on the 17th of December. Don't miss it. Start inviting people. Let's fill the place up for that special occasion. We're in 2 Corinthians now. 2 Corinthians and chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 5, begins with two words. Examine yourselves and then continues by saying, whether ye be in the faith. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. This is important for us to understand that we are not to judge others lest we be judged. Last week, 
we saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the last half of the chapter, verses 11 through 21, Paul saying to those Corinthians who had done every form of criticism and abuse, uh, verbal abuse on the apostle, he said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. This is, uh, this is the Christian attitude and response to those who speak against them, who mistreat, persecute, and do everything they can uh, to uh, defeat and depress God's people. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. And time and time again, my sweet wife and I will tell you that through these years of ministry, uh, the ones that you feed are the ones who usually bite the hand. And uh, so many other uh, illustrations I could give you. When sheep are not well, they bite the shepherd. This is all about the sheep and shepherd relationship. And in Paul's case, he is willing to go the extra mile because people, people will let you down. People will say and do things they ought not to do. And yet, that is not the reason that we're in this business. We are in the Lord's work for the Lord and for His glory and for His sake and not for our own. And so we will gladly be spent. We'll gladly spend and be spent, as he said. So the last time we read those verses in chapter 12, and uh, he said, uh, take care of this sin problem. Take care of these things that need to be cared for before I get there. Because if you don't, of course, we will have to take care of them at that point in time. It says in chapter 13 and verse number one, will you follow with me and will you take notes? This is the third time I'm coming to you. The apostle Paul showed great care and interest in those who needed it. You know as well as I do, having raised children and having grandchildren of your own, many of you, you understand that the one you spend time with is the one that requires it the most. The one who has the greatest need is the one that you spend time with. Now, obviously, obviously, you make yourself understood to the one that you don't spend the most time with. And you say, well, I just believe we ought to spend the same amount of time with everybody. Well, then if you're going to do that, yeah, you're going to level the ground. But what's going to happen is if you spend all the time you ought to spend with the one who needs the time spent with them, and then you spend the same amount of time with everybody else, you won't have any time. Should I say that again? I don't think I can. I think I've just said it. All right? And that's the truth. The whole business of time invested in your children and your grandchildren and in your students and in your bus kids and in the people that live next door and down the street is you spend the most amount of time with the one who requires the most. That's called efficiency. That's called wisdom. That's called direction. And this idea of spending the exact same amount of time with everybody, regardless of their need, uh, that's, that's called logic, but it's not scriptural. Scriptural logic is God spends the time with the one who needs it the most. God invests the most in those of us who need the most. And so uh, I owe the Lord an apology when I get to heaven for all the time he's had to put into me. I don't know that it's, it's, uh, it's produced any returns, but uh, I trust that it has. All right, so he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. He, and now he quotes from the Old Testament in the mouth of two or three witnesses. That's the law. Shall every word be established. Now, why did he say that there? He says, I'm, I'm coming to you the third time. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. He's saying, nobody 
can argue about this and say, Paul, you didn't invest yourself in us. You didn't put your time into us. You didn't spend and be spent. Because he has done exactly that. He's done precisely that. And across the span of time and miles where God has taken us over the course of our ministry, I would have to agree that the same is true in other places with other people as well. God knows. God knows exactly that. All right, now we're reading on. Verse number 2. This is important. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. I'm not going to hold back, he's saying. I'm not going to hold back. He's saying, I'm, I'm going to invest. I am going to, I am going to discipline. I'm going to do whatever needs to be done in order to get the job done. There it is. There it is. Now, this chapter is kind of like a composite of so many different places in Scripture where we find admonitions. Now, the word, the verb to admonish and the noun admonition are not words that we normally use very much. But I want you to put this down. I picked this up this week, and I like it. I like it. Uh, an admonition uh, is a high-octane encouragement. Put that down. High-octane encouragement. Put something into it. Put some pizzazz into it. There we go. It means to put in mind, to caution, to reprove, and to warn. All right, so it is, it is Paul depositing the truth into the heart and mind of the Corinthian reader, the Corinthian church, corporately speaking, and by extension, every person who reads the Bible in the 13th chapter, they're going to see not one, not two, not three, but four specific areas of admonition. And I'm going to put them in the form uh, if you've uh, ever read any of Warren Wiersbe, uh, he's, got, uh, he's got commentaries, hardback books. But he put out a series called the B-series, B-E-series, and on all the books of the Bible. You've got some of those, haven't you? Okay. All right, sir. All right. And, and whatever the theme of the book of the Bible that he's writing on, uh, be encouraged or be strong or be fill in the blank. That's it. And we have four admonitions in this chapter alone. And so we want to look at these high octane encouragements as we're reading through. First of all, if you're bracketing, go ahead and bracket verses one through four, bracket verses one through four, and write this word, these words, be ready, be ready. Now, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I am ready. I am ready, ready to preach the gospel. Um, Peter said, be ready always to give an answer, to give, to give that right word of, of apologetics, of explanation, so that people will be directed correctly. Be ready, be ready. And that's what Paul is saying in verses 1 through 4. In fact, He's telling them, he's kind of forewarning them. He's saying, be ready for my next visit. Get things fixed up. Now, when else did Paul say that? 
He said that earlier on when he said, now, with respect to your faith promise for the poor saints at Jerusalem, you know, the offering that's being taken up by all the churches throughout the Mediterranean region, and they're going to take that money back to church number one, the first, you know, granddad of all the churches, the church at Jerusalem. Those people have suffered. A lot of people have been scattered by, by Saul and other persecutions, and uh, they're gone, and so the church is languishing. And so by faith, for one year in advance, they were giving faith promise, and Paul was sending his helpers to pick up those offerings at different pickup points and then to converge and to get the money back to Jerusalem. And he told the Corinthians, get ready. Why, they were, they were ready in Macedonia a year ago. So you better give what you promised. You better catch up because we're going to collect that money and take it on to Jerusalem, take care of that need. This is the pattern for faith promise missions. Every year we pray, we ask the Lord how much increase, and then by that we determine that we can take on another couple, two, three missionaries. And so we're going to be doing that as well. So be ready, he says, be ready for my visit. I'm, I'm coming by there. I'm going to be there. Absolutely. This is a challenge to them because they're going to have to face the one that they've been saying things about. And so he says in verse 3, Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Now here Paul is saying, you get ready for my visit by getting your thinking, your head squared away regarding my response to you. They were saying that he was weak, that he wasn't strong. Now, some of those false apostles had claimed for themselves things that were not true, and they had done it vehemently. Let's say they had used their, their loud voice, their, big, their outdoor voice or whatever, and uh, they didn't have the goods to back it up that Paul did. And Paul is saying this this was not inappropriate for me to respond as I have. To appear to be weak when you're not is not weakness, that's meekness. The whole ministry of Jesus Christ, with very few exceptions, was one of meekness, strength under control. That's important. Only a couple of times did you see fire in the eye of the Messiah when he turned those tables over in the temple twice, not once, but twice. Beginning and ending of his ministry, he drove out the money changers. And uh, man, they said, who is this guy? What have they done with Jesus? Because Jesus came across as meek and mild-mannered. But not in that case. Now, on the cross, he gave himself. When he came, when he was born, he was born as a baby, meek and mild. Uh, he, was, he was like the lamb of God. And then when he was crucified, he was like the lamb of God. We read over in Philippians and chapter number two, he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Of, of, his, of his godness? No. No, he emptied himself of the independent use of his attributes as God. And he made himself subject to the control of the Father. The Father speaking through the Holy Spirit that filled God the Son. So we have the whole Trinity represented there. And Jesus did not do anything unless he was directed 
by the Father through the Holy Spirit that was in him. Now, why was the Son of God, who is already God in a body, why would he need the Holy Spirit to fill him? The Bible says he was filled with the Holy Ghost, and the reason is so that we would have an example. We're supposed to be filled with and controlled by the Holy Ghost, not to be wild and, and woolly and strange and different and, you know, bark like a dog or whatever, but um, to be directed, to be guided. Otherwise, what we do uh, may get us in deeper trouble. Uh, we, may, we may look for a, uh, for a course of action that is not directed by God himself. So the Holy Spirit guided and directed the Son, who is God the Son in a body, uh, just as we are guided by uh, God the Holy Spirit inside of our body. All right. So he was crucified through weakness. He allowed that. He permitted it. That's called meekness. It appears to be weakness. So the ministry, the correction that came from Paul appeared to be weakness. But he says, no, that's not going to, that's not going to happen. When I come, you better have things squared away because you're not going to see that meekness. You're going to see the power. Now, the power that's referred to, you see, the cross represents meekness or weakness, but the empty tomb represents the power of the resurrection. And it's by that same power, the power of the resurrection, that we live successfully every day. We are filled with that power. We claim the name of Jesus against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We, we claim that power for every task that we perform, everything that we're involved with, because we do not want to... Uh, uh, depend upon the arm of the flesh, which will fail us. So there it is. The power of God revealed through Paul. And he says, next time I come, that's what you're going to see. So you better get it squared away. Have, can you identify with this? Anybody ever have mom or dad say, well, now I'm going to the store. When I come back, you better have that room cleaned up. You better have that garage organized. You better have that, you know, that, that uh, area out back swept. You better have your work done. Anybody ever have that happen? And if you got sidetracked, what happened? You'd see the power of your parents, right? Or you, you might feel it, right, Tony? You might feel the power. Yes, all right. And that's what Paul is saying. You say, now, that doesn't seem right. Well, that's what is required, whether it's in a church or in a home. We don't want to immediately go to, you know, the corporal punishment. But that has got to be a reality. And anybody here who is trying to appear to be a better, more loving parent or leader without the, the possibility of that happening in the event that somebody doesn't do right, you're, you're going to find out the hard way that you have not done a successful job of raising that child, that grandchild, uh, having that, uh, that student in class or whatever. There has got to be, you've got to have some teeth in this thing. Everybody understand what I'm saying? If you don't have teeth in it, I'm telling you, they're going to run roughshod right over you. Your class, your bus ministry, you're going to have footprints up and down your face and all over your body because that's, they're going to be walking all over you. All right? So here Paul is saying, that's not going to happen. And I believe it. Paul must have been quite formidable when he got uh, riled up about something. All right. So there you go. So we got that bracket. What is it? Be ready. Be ready for my visit. Be ready for my coming. I want you to understand that we need to have the same attitude and spirit all the time. We need to always be ready because Jesus could come back. Amen. We want to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. We don't want to be ashamed at his coming. We don't want to be 
found uh, unproductive. We don't want to, to have the loss of rewards. Think about that. All of those things are true. Jesus is coming. Remind yourself, and when you wake up tomorrow, first thing when you open your eyes, say, Jesus may come today. Lord, come today. Lord, I want you to come today. But if not today, I want you to come tomorrow and so forth. And that's the relationship that we need to have, that connection. And we need to be prepared and not be ashamed of what we don't do or what we should have done. Amen. All right. Verse number five, down through verse seven. Paul says, examine yourselves. That's just like our scripture that we began with. We want to be searched. We want the Holy Spirit to search every corner and crevice of our spiritual life. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you. That's, that's if, in fact, you're saved. Except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil. Not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be reprobates. All right, now be as reprobates. All right, that's what he's saying. Though we be as reprobates. He is speaking with a note of sarcasm because they have accused him of everything except being a child of God. And you've been that there. I know you've been in a situation like that. This is another B fill in the blank section. Bracket those three verses. And here he is admonishing them. This is, uh, remember, encouragement on steroids. All right. This is, this is, uh, the, the fuse is lit. This is, uh, this is a uh, rocket sled encouragement all right whoosh all right and he's saying be sure that you're saved blessed assurance jesus is mine isn't it wonderful to have that assurance built in to this experience of being born again is that holy spirit assurance that what we did is what the bible says and there's nothing added to it or taken from it we're saved. And I know that I know that I know that I know that I've been born again. The Bible says. The Bible says so in 1 John chapter number 5. All right. So be sure you are saved. The, uh, the Corinthians were spending all this time and effort to examine Paul and uh, put him on the hot seat or under the magnifying lens. Uh, but it's time now for them to examine themselves, Paul says. All right. I've been examined. It's your turn. Examine your, turn it around. Look at yourself. Look at your own qualifications. Look at your own spirituality. Now, the, the book of 1 John is not written to people trying to get saved. The book of 1 John is written to people who have professed to be saved already, and it is a book that contains a number of proofs or tests for whether or not you've truly been saved. And so we understand in its context what it's all about. And as we read it, we understand there are certain evidences or proofs that we've been born again. We have the indwelling. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit. We have, uh, we have a, a, a new way of thinking, a new way of walking, a new life, and praise God for that. So um, the unexamined life, one philosopher said, is not worth living. And if you, if you can't examine yourself, or if you're afraid to examine yourself, you're probably uh, in, in some kind of a bad way, either not saved or so backslidden you can't tell that you are saved. A true Christian, 
uh, will bear that kind of examination from time to time and um, will say to himself or herself, you know, there are times when I don't behave like a Christian, but I know that I'm saved because I've been to that woodshed enough. I know every board inside that place. I know every knothole in every board. I know every nail next to every board in that place. I know what the woodshed's like. I've been there. And whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And so he's going to take us out to the woodshed so we'll know who we belong to and who we ought to be obeying. And so praise the Lord for that. A true Christian has Jesus Christ in him or her. The word reprobate is a good one. Now, you need to underline it. And that's not something you want to be. But Paul uses it only of himself because that's what they've been saying about him. And the word reprobate means not the real thing, not passing the test, flunking the test instead, all right? A counterfeit, uh, not the real thing. How does a person, how does a person that works in a bank know how to test money to see if it's real or if it's counterfeit? You say, well, they look, they look through the little thing, they look at all those things. There's another way. I don't know if you know this, but this is part of the training. They are taught to handle real bills. And they can feel and see the difference between the real thing and the phony. And we should, we should be used to this. We should have gone through enough, look at me, enough testing, enough examination of ourselves spiritually that we remember the last time. And if you're doing it daily or weekly or monthly, whatever, you know, just to, because you, you know what a Christian is. And you can hearken back to that. About the only thing you can say is you give yourself a swift kick in the seat of your pants. And it's kind of hard to do. But uh, as you do that, you're saying to yourself, why did I do that? And the answer, the obvious answer is because we are saved and we've got an old nature still and a new nature. And there's a conflict between the two. And if you don't feed the new nature more than you feed the old nature, the old nature is going to win. And you're going to look and act and talk like you're not even saved. But you're knowing because of the conflict that, because that's going on inside, you know that you're saved. Do you think the devil would waste time and resources on you if you were lost? He'd just use the world and the flesh and just let you, on, you know, go on your way to destruction. Now, I'll tell you who the devil puts the most time into, believers. He whispers in your ear. He suggests things that sound semi-moral or ethical or spiritual or you know, good, instead of what the Word of God and the Holy Spirit directs us. That's what the devil does. Come on now. Come on. What I'm giving you now, you're not going to hear a lot of places. A lot of places are going to tell you just the opposite of that. They're going to say, oh, the devil's going to be on you all the time. The devil doesn't have to be on the backslidden, fleshly, carnal Christian because they're already living like that. They don't have to, they don't have to require any demonic intervention. Now, the demonic stuff goes on when you start getting into deep graphic things. Or if you are a Christian who is in the habit of trying to rescue some folks from their demonic influences, and there's plenty of them out there. Boy, we've seen so many ways the devil uses against the young and the old alike in our generation. All right, so be sure you're Say, be sure you're in the faith and not phony. Uh, be sure that you are a true, a true believer. And Paul is saying, I'm a true believer and I'm a true apostle. And those folks over in Corinth aren't. 
And he's saying, I'm not your judge, but it just seems there's so much of this junk going on, some of you probably never been saved. And that's probably safe to say without pointing the finger at a specific person. All right, so this is high octane. This is rocket sled stuff. This is dynamic, dynamite kind of encouragement. Be ready for his visit. Be sure of your salvation. Examine yourself. Now, look at verse uh, 8, 9, and 10. For we can do nothing against the truth but for the truth. For we are glad when we are, when we are weak and ye are strong. And this also we wish even your perfection. Not sinless perfection, but completion. We want you to come all the way to maturity, which is a clue. As you bracket verses 8, 9, and 10, the B, and then the fill in the blank is, be obedient to God's word. Be obedient to God's word. And as you bracket verses 11 through 14, put down there, be mature in the faith. That's the message. The 13th chapter, what a closing to 2 Corinthians. Paul has answered all of their objections. And now he's turned it around. He says, look at yourself in the mirror of the word of God. Look at yourself under the microscope. You've been examining and critiquing me. Time for you to look at yourself because I'm coming for a visit. Just like Jesus is coming for a visit to our house as well. All right. And he's saying, when I come, uh, we're going we're gonna to take care. We're going to clean up whatever's not cleaned up. So you better get it cleaned up. You'd better be ready. You'd better be sure that you're saved. And you'd better be obedient to the Word of God, the Bible. Let's look at this closely. The word truth is used twice in verse 8. The word truth is frequently synonymous with the Bible or the law or the Word of God. And then he says, here's the response. For we are glad when we are weak and ye are strong, and this also we wish even your perfection. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, our desire is for the other person. Our desire is for the other church. And we, our desire, it doesn't matter, you know, how you say it. We want you to come to spiritual growth. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now that's 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And you can jot it down and read it later for yourself if you want to see it in print. Therefore, I write these things being absent. Now, he is actually writing down the very God-breathed words that came from heaven. He's saying, finally, brethren, he says, be perfect, be of good comfort. So he's, he's saying, you need to have that maturity. There it is. So back up in verse 10, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. Whenever we are in the process of sharing scripture, sharing principles with individuals, it should be with the proper motivation. The word of God is not something that God has given us to hit people over the head with, to make people feel less than they are, hopeless, demeaned. We've made it a rule of thumb in our counseling our, our desi a great desire, overarching desire of counseling is for people to leave that session with some biblical hope. That's the best way you can leave. And so he's saying, be obedient to God's word. And edification is the goal, not destruction. 
Now we come to the last bracketed verses, 11 through 14, and we've said, be mature. Be mature. And that means to be mature in the Bible, in things of faith. Now, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans says. If you're reading your Bible, and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work through you, and you're applying the truth, you're going to grow exponentially. You're going to grow, and you're going to help to disciple and spiritually grow those that you're, that you're mentoring or discipling and helping in the faith. There it is. And uh, he's saying, finally, brethren, he's speaking to them out of a heart of love and kindness. Farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. He's closing out with um, a wonderful, wonderful uh, benediction when, uh, when he speaks of these things. He says, be perfect, mature. Be of good comfort. Now, what is that? That's, that's the connection of grace in our difficult hours. He's the God of all comfort. That grace isn't just sitting there idling, rev revving its engine, but rather that grace is designed to come out in the form of spiritual comfort, real comfort. The Holy Spirit, and before Him, Jesus Christ, known in Scripture as the Comforter, the Advocate, come alongside us, befriend us, love us, embrace us, hold us up, help us, give us hope, encourage us. That's, that's where comfort comes in. It's not the false comfort of another human being saying, and how many times, we've, we've been talking about this, the, some of the, excuse me, some of the wrong things that people say to somebody else. There are all kinds of little sayings that pop up, little placards, and you need to really read those and compare them with Scripture. Because if they're not scriptural, don't pass them along. You know? Uh, like for example, if somebody says, there's always hope. There's hope if you're in the Word. There's hope if you're in Christ. But you're out of hope. <laughs> There's no hope for you if you're not in Christ or in the Word. So there you go. It's going to get better. Have you heard that? It's going to get better. No, it might get a whole lot worse. Whoever told you that? God is great and Jesus is sweet and the Holy Spirit is warm and all those things are true. But it may be that we're going through the worst blizzard spiritually that we've ever been through, and God's going to help us through because of that thing called grace. So this business of comfort connects us with grace in our most difficult hours and helps us you know, to be realistic and not, not uh, just uh, euphemistic uh, with, with uh, some popular saying, some bumper sticker a philosophy of living that's not even, not even found in the Word of God. Amen. Amen. So what do we need? We need, no matter what, we need Jesus. On your best day, on your worst day, on your strongest day, on your weakest day, you need Jesus. We need to come to Him and be dependent. And how it turns out is according to God. What matters is what we do in terms of being obedient and having this maturity to understand that life is not the way that, that you kind of, you know, in your daydream wish it were. 
But life is the way it's going to be according to the will of God, and we must yield to Him and then be satisfied in the person of Christ, find all of our satisfaction in Jesus and not in things just turning out any old way that we wish. It's not going to be that. Now, prayer certainly runs, uh, certainly a very important part of this. It's very, very important that we pray. And sometimes our prayers are effectual and they change things and that's good. But in, in, in hindsight, looking back on these years and years and years of serving God, the best that we can do and, and the most that we can hope for is that we, as an individual, as a child of God, we yield Him 24-7. We are dependent upon Him. We watch what He does. In amazement, we watch what He does. And then afterwards, we glorify Him. And maybe your little... Here's, here's, a, here's an example. This little tiny slice of the pie of our life. We're praying and praying and praying and praying that X, Y, and Z will happen and not X and not Y and not Z happens. Lord, you let me down. You're not looking at the whole pie. You're not looking at the whole life. God knows what he's doing. Stop doubting him. Allow him to have his way. Yield to him. So be ready. Be sure of your salvation. Be obedient to God's will. And be mature. Be mature. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. That's unity in the spirit. Where are we weakest? Where are we the least efficient? I think it's cooperative service for the Lord and for His glory with others of like faith. I think we're terrible at that. And we use the excuse that we're wired differently. We have our own lives. Maybe, maybe uh, there's some little uh, blip on the screen that's, that's your own peculiar thing that you do and how you are. And so you're not going to have anything to do with uh, serving in one accord. The first church was powerful because they were willing to, to not live according to the blip on the screen, but instead find common ground in Jesus Christ. That's what we need, common ground in Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about ecumenical movement, yoking up with unbelievers or people that are way out in space somewhere. I'm talking about those with whom we have so much in common, but we're using some fleshly excuse not to get along. So we need to do that. Be of one mind. Live in peace. Living in peace, that's interesting, because Sunday we're going to be talking about this important, this important ingredient. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. And that's a great verse this time of year, especially as we're seeking confirmation or affirmation from the Lord. Greet one another with an holy kiss. Now, we don't do that culturally, but over in old world countries, third world countries, that's done. And among the Jews, that was done. And, and in some countries today, you see it. I, I don't get it. Parts of Europe, I don't get it. You know, guys kissing each other on the cheek. I don't get that. But I wasn't raised that way. And so it's not part of my cultural DNA. And don't you try to give me a kiss, all right? But uh, I've, <laughs> I've, I've had people from the old country, guys, you know, give me a real hug and maybe kiss me on the head or something. And um, that's, that's as far as I want that to go, all right? Okay. Usually what I'll say is man hug. We'll give a man hug and that's it. 
And then I always make a little joke out of it, you know, like, uh, well, where that's through. All right. Greet one another with a holy kiss. What do we put in place of that culturally? How do we understand that? We need to show people that affirmation, that we're on the same team, that we're praying for them, we care. So I would say those notes that you write, sweetie, are, are like a holy kiss because it makes people feel good. Those, those texts, those devotions you send out, the texts that you send out, how do you, how do you, uh, how do you send texts? Are they, are they loving little spiritual kisses or is it scorched earth? Huh? Which one is it? All right. Hopefully it's not scorched earth. All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's leave a trail of rose petals or kisses or, you know what I'm saying? And let's let people know that we're praying for them. We care about them. We want to help them. The highest, the highest compliment we could ever receive, other than the one I've told you, which is you're the real deal. When they tell you you're the real, real deal, that's the highest compliment. But the second highest one is, I don't know where I would be or where I would have gone if you hadn't come along and helped me and been like the Holy Spirit in this case. And now we don't, wanna, we don't want to, uh, to, to give needy people an excuse to, to be, have a parasitic relationship. If any relationship, it should be symbiotic. We, we give and we spend and are spent and we give and and receive and so forth in terms of helping one another. That one accordness is so important in maturity. All the saints salute you. We need to be careful to do that. And I know that there are some people that are so immature, if, if I'm shaking hands this way and I turn around this way and their hand's not out, and so I shake somebody else's hand, and they say, he didn't even shake my hand. And they decide to split the church over that. That's happened in places. And that's a shame because unless there is, you know, something that I don't know about, I'm, I'm going to shake everybody's hand if I can. I've, I've learned over time, I'm learning, look people in the eye, you know, just shake their hand no matter what. Even if you know what they've said about you behind your back, you still shake their hand. All right. Show some, some maturity. Somebody in this relationship of, of Christian fellowship has to be the adult in the room, all right? So let's do that, all right? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all, amen. What do we call that? We call that the practical application of the Trinity. You got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One writer has said we see the Trinity in this benediction uh, just like um, we have Bethlehem, Calvary and Pentecost. Bethlehem, of course, Jesus Christ, God the Father, Calvary, Pentecost. We have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We've got so much, so many different expressions of the Trinity. We need to remember, before we put the ink to paper on amen, amen, let it be so. Let it be so. That's what that means. Same thing in Espanol. See, amen. Let it be so. Right? Amen. Now, we, we American, English-speaking Americans go, amen, you know, and if, 
If you're in a choir, it's amen. All right. But, but it's a very important word. Jesus Christ is called the amen. We want to start and finish with the Alpha and the Omega, don't we? He's the beginning and the end. Jesus is with you. Jesus coming to the end of his time. He loved them unto the end. We need to love people. We need to serve God. We need to be able to say with conviction, God helping me, God growing me, I'm here for the duration. The world, the flesh, and the devil aren't going to kick me out of God's service. Not going to happen. God helping me, by His grace, I'm not going to become a statistic. God helping me, by His grace, when they, when they carry me out of here, I'll be feet first, or whatever. I don't know where that came from. Usually when a body goes out, it goes out head first. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. It's very important for us to be totally, absolutely, 100%, unreservedly committed to the work of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? So take these admonitions, take them to heart, and uh, let's be ready, be sure we're saved, let's be obedient, let's be mature. Would you bow your head and close your eyes now? Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking. We're examining ourselves tonight. You'd say, preacher, as you've been speaking, I've been doing that very thing. I've been examining myself in the mirror of the Word of God, and God's speaking to my heart. Slip your hand up high. God's speaking to my heart. Amen. 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 All right. And now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm going to ask you, right where you are, to pray from your heart to God. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. In just a moment, we're going to sing. Thank you for that.